Hi Venters, welcome to another episode of Behind the Mic. This is a Vent music podcast series hosted by me, Freddie Cocker, and presented to you by Vent, a place where everyone, but especially men and boys, can open up about their mental health issues, break down stigmas, and start conversations. Each pod, I check in with artists across different music scenes in the UK and beyond. We talk all about their musical journeys, their artistry, and most importantly, the person behind the mic. In this episode of Behind the Mic, I'm checking in with UK pop artist Jade Morgan Kelly. I came across Jade through a covers medley video she did for BBC Introducing, which led me on to her absolute smash hit, Reason to Stay, featuring Jackie Mono. In this episode, we discuss how Jade got into the music industry from her diploma at the British and Irish Modern Music Institute, or BIM, in London, through to her undergraduate degree in popular music performance vocals, right through to starting her music career as an artist now at 22 years old. We also discuss the pressure of TikTok and the need for artists to be posting on it to build their profile on a consistent and regular basis. For Jade's mental health, we discuss her people-pleasing trait she has had throughout her early life and adolescence, where it originates from, why she does it, and how she's trying to get control of it and overcome it now. We also discuss her experience of therapy, which she's done since university, and her personal growth she's done since COVID-19. So get yourself comfy and have a listen as I go Behind the Mic with Jade Morgan Kelly. Jade Morgan Kelly, welcome to Behind the Mic. Thank you so much for taking the time to check in with me. This is basically the equivalent of me doing a podcast from a hospital bed because I am currently bedridden, not able to do much. And uh, my mental health state is probably not in the best state anyway either, as the (laughs) listeners will know by the time this comes out. I came across you through your amazing BBC introducing video, Medley, that you did. And I obviously took a deep dive into music after that. I was very (laughs) keen to have you on. Here we are. How are you? I'm okay, thank you very much. How are you? <laughs> Apart from being... Uh, yeah, the honest answer to that is probably not great, So, uh, <laughs> but we move, we move, we move. We've got a lot to talk about, Jade, including some stuff that you've recovered from and healed from recently, some other issues that you're still kind of working through and hopefully going to get better at as time goes on. Mm-hmm. So without further ado, are you ready to start the show? I am indeed. Let's go. Let's start behind the mic, as we always do, by talking about your music journey, Jade. Mm-hmm. So I ask all my special guests this question first. Tell me back to how your love affair with music began. Who are some of the artists you listened to growing up? What impact did they have? And when did you first start singing or playing instruments? Well, it's going to be the most generic answer, but I've been singing ever since I can remember, like every singer. But yeah, I think my household is extremely musical my dad is a bassist he was in a band when he was younger he toured Europe Um, he was in a really kind of cool indie punk band so that's kind of where my love for music started um, because he constantly got guitars and bass all around the house and pretty rowdy house then I imagine (laughs) yeah yeah pretty much Um, my mum and dad are ultimate ravers so constantly in my house we'd have parties all the time and that's kind of where that love for the dance music has come from. But my dad is so versatile. It will go from quite literally faithless to the Sex Pistols. So it was a very well-rounded musical house. And that's kind of where that passion came from. And I think just constantly going to gigs with my family growing up and just going to really different gigs as a child, like Biffy Clyro, Faithless, for example. And... Yeah, and that's kind of where I loved it. Love for music came from, sorry. And I always wanted to do some sort of creative journey in my life because I suffer with ADHD and I just can't sit still. So like doing like a nine to five office job is just like not for me. And then being this kind of crazy hyperactive child that I get reminded that I was like, uh, music was that balance for me and kind of calmed me down, but not in a bad way. Mm. It makes my brain work more. So you can hyper focus. Yeah. Yeah. Because I struggle with focusing on important Mm. things, should I say. We'll come to the ADHD, I guess, a little bit later on in your podcast, Jade. But just tell me about how you made the transition from you know, singing 
mm-hmm. into Sing Star or whatever, <laughs> whatever the old rock, rock yeah. band or whatever the Guitar Hero. How did that lead on to actually taking it seriously and wanting to do it as a professional degree? Because I imagine a lot of people, maybe your parents or maybe kind of other people in your family, might have said, "Well, yes, pursue it as a career if you want, but you know, choose something else for for a university degree." Maybe was there ever that sort of discussion, or was it always kind of do your thing and go to BIM? I'm like extremely grateful to say that my mum and dad have always been like my biggest supporters and that's all they ever wanted for me when I was in that transition from GCSEs to A-levels I was like I'm going to do A-levels I'm going to do politics at sixth form I'm going to do politics music and I think it was psychology or something like that I can't Mm -hmm. remember it's so long ago now and my dad was like you don't want to be a politician do you and I was like no not really and they were like so why are you (laughs) trying to stick out A-levels like it's not for you and they were always, always rooting for me in my music career. And then I came across BIM, I think about two months before we're meant to start school again in September. And I just went down for an audition with my mum and dad and I got in and I was like, fine, that's what I'm going to do. Because I didn't want to go to a local college around here because I just felt like it wasn't for me. It wasn't grabbing my eye. It didn't feel like that really authentic musical kind of start. So I'm extremely grateful I found BIM. And even my grandma, she was like rooting for me in my music career because all my cousins done quite serious degrees, like teaching degrees or economics. And I was like, yeah, I'm going to come through and do a music degree. And I thought she would like hate it, but she loves the fact that I was doing it because my brother as well, he does quite a serious job now, but he wanted to be a golfer. And my mum and dad were like, fine, be a golfer. That's fine. So I'm so grateful that I've got the parents that want this for me as much as I do. Tell me about BIM then, because it's a musical university. Mm-hmm. And I imagine a lot of musical universities and drama universities, you know, the prominent examples are RADA and Sylvia Plath. I think, that's, I think that's the right one. Yeah. And shall we say there's probably a lot of peacocking going on so how did you deal with that when everyone is putting on this mask of I'm great or I'm this and that and maybe kind of doing it in a way to as a survival mechanism or was it not that at all is the stereotype completely wrong um I feel like it's 60 40 16 being (laughs) not like that and 40 kind of is so obviously when I went to BIM I was 16 and everyone there and especially BIM London because there's a few obviously around the UK mm-hmm. BIM London is really really popular with international students which is something that I'm so happy that I got to experience because I've been cultured so much over the last five years of being at BIM so everyone there was pretty much 18 or older so I came in as like the child like not knowing anything in life don't even know how to turn a dishwasher on and I thought it was going to be that high school musical vibe where you're going to be walking around the corridor. Jazz hands in the corridors and all that. And don't yeah. get me wrong, to a degree, there is some of that. <laughs> However, it's not as bad as you think. And you do kind of have the people, and I think this is just as creatives in general, who kind of put that mask on thinking, like, oh, I'm amazing at this and this and that. But realistically, deep down, it's kind of where are you going to get your authenticity from? And with BIM, it's definitely a place where I discovered who I am as a person and as an artist and developed over the years. And I wouldn't have done that without being around all these musical people. And yes, I would have experienced that slightly at a college locally to me, but there's so many different courses, so many different kind of paths in life that you can go on to. But BIM, because it's specifically music, even if that's production or journalism or business, you know, you're surrounded by these people and people who want the same thing as you. So it kind of Mm -hmm. pushes you more, I think. Let's talk about your music career now. So you you used your full name. So I don't Mm -hmm. need to ask you about that. What stage (laughs) name or anything like what inspiration did you have, etc. So just describe your sound for the listeners who haven't heard of you. Okay, so yeah, I decided to go with my full name because I couldn't think of anything it's creative. Easier, to be honest. <laughs> I couldn't think of anything creative, so I was like, Jade Morgan Kelly would just have to do. Um, JMK. Yeah, I, do you know, it was there was a time where I was like, I'll go for his JMK, and I just hated it. Like, it's just horrible. <laughs> so I was just like, no, we'll just stick to the government name. But yeah, no, so I am inspired a lot by dance music and house music. And I also love Taylor Swift. So it was like incorporating <laughs> that dance pop element to it. And I wouldn't say my pop Did you get tickets for eras or not? <laughs> no, do not talk to me about the eras tour. Do not talk to me about that. I can't even begin to explain my anger. Every girl on my timeline. <laughs> I don't. Honestly, it makes me... I can't. That's another topic for another type of podcast. <laughs> yeah, another podcast, another podcast, mate. But yeah, no. So like I said before, I was brought up in this kind of house dance environment and dance music is my safe face and like no matter the mood I'm in I can listen to it 
like 6am on the way to work I'll be like pure techno set like listen to it on the train <laughs> Ben Clock mate etch, etch, all air with mix <laughs> it'll be like Michael Beebe at Solid Grooves and Ibiza now Jesus 6am <laughs> that's intense for 6am but yeah no I just love it and I love pop music as well and I think there's this kind of negativity around pop music and like they're not good enough for like or they're not creative enough as other genres and I think pop music is great and I love to incorporate that so that's why I kind of say that in pop dance like Anne-Marie, Becky Hill, Gracie, Rudimental Vibes um, mm-hmm. they're a few of my inspirations but also because I grew up like listening to indie kind of punk as well I've got like inspirations from Joy Division the clash and stuff like that so I like to say I'm well-rounded and like kind of where I get my inspiration from and what I want my sound to be like I want to be me I want to be Jade Wilden Kelly I don't want to be a Becky Hill as much as I love her but I do think there's only Mm -hmm. one Becky Hill and there will only Mm -hmm. ever be one Becky Hill but I will definitely say that she's one of my hugest inspirations and kind of how I've got to where I am now if there's a message for these podcasts, is there's only one Becky Hill. So there we yeah. go. One question I always ask to my guests on Behind the Mic, Jade, is about the realities of the music industry on artists for their audience, for their friends, for their family. Now, you're in a unique position of being in the industry as an artist. Mm-hmm. But as we were speaking off air, you also work in the industry in your full-time profession, shall we say. Mm-hmm. So how do you strike that balance? And just tell me about some of your experiences here that the listeners might want to know about. So, yeah, so I think... There's a lot of imposter syndrome within the music industry. And I do think that's in any industry, if that's creative or not. And my track that I released back in March called I'm Still Trying is pretty much how I constantly just act like I'm okay. Sounds like my love life. (laughs) (laughs) It's actually the first song I've written that's not about my love life. Oh, my life's a living joke. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, listen to the song. It'll make you feel better. Oh, but you yeah, know I'm still trying I came off last year last summer I'd done such amazing festivals I'd accomplished so much but I just felt so mentally drained and my social mm. battery was just dead my creative battery was dead as well and I just constantly put on this facade that I was okay and that everything's going great and that you know I can put on this show if I put on a show for people for 40 minutes on a Friday night like, I can do it constantly and that's what I think a lot of us creatives suffer with. Our social media has to be happy and that we're doing so much with our lives and we're writing and we're doing shows and we're getting signs and getting publishing deals. And more than likely in the reality that we're still working a nine to five, barely making rent. But the only thing we want to do is like get our music out there. And luckily that I do work in the industry. So I work at BIM now which I'm so happy that I do. I still work with like all of my favorite kind of tutors that taught me and all of my best mates. We all kind of work there at the minute. And I do do some like social media freelancing as well. It's nice to see it from that perspective because I think if you're an independent Mm. artist, you need to have that well-rounded knowledge of what's it like behind the scenes in social media, for example. Like what have you got to do that's going to make your promo pop for your next single, your next gig? Or even just knowing like all of the ins and outs of the business of like PRS, royalties, finance, deals, yeah, 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 massive, all of yeah, that. Yeah. And I'm incredibly grateful that I kind of learned that at BIM, but then also get to incorporate it in my job as well. But even like I work in the industry, it's still not enough for me. Like I want to be that artist. Course, I don't think yeah. anything will be enough for me. I'm always just like wanting something more. <laughs> Um, which I don't know if it's a good thing or not. <laughs> we'll, see, we'll see how the years unfold, mate. We'll see how the years yeah. unfold. <laughs> uh, let's talk about live performance now. So can you take me back to your first ever gig as Jade Morgan Kelly and your process before, during and after the performance? Um, Gosh, I need to remember it now. I think my first like show as me was... My first ever kind of full band live performance was in my diploma year at BIM. And that was at 229 in Great Portland Street. And I done a cover of a Charlotte OC song. And that was an experience in itself. I ate Arabiata pasta just before. And I realized that that's not a good thing to do because chili is not great for your throat. And I was just burning all over. And like my nerves and the chili just did not blend well together. And I just remember being on stage, like I'm on fire in the inside right now. <laughs> and um, it was a yeah, great Not like experience. the Kasabian song, literally, literally on fire. Yeah, yeah like I, I honestly, it was like really weird experience. But that was like my first kind of like live performance. And I remember being so nervous, so nervous because 
I never get nervous with kind of like my music thing, but that was intense because that was only one song. It wasn't too bad. But my first show, I'd say as me, I was 18. It was actually three days after my 18th birthday and I was still recovering from that 18th birthday. <laughs> and I remember listening to it now and I'm like, oh my God, them songs are terrible. Like, oh, why did I ever write? That's growth. Like that? That's growth. But, no, but I love it. I love that I can say that. And I'm sure in five years time, I'll look back at the music that I'm creating this year and being like, what the fuck was that? <laughs> like, it's just like, I know. That in a good way. In a good in way. In a good way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In a good way. But I remember that first show and I just remember feeling so young and like, I've got so much that I can accomplish but then I was like I'm not doing enough I need to be getting people coming down to these gigs like I'm not good enough and I just think oh my god girl like look at you now compared to then even though it's mm. what four years ago like it's not that long ago five years ago I remember being feeling not good enough then and like now I'm just like <laughs> look at where you've become or where you've got to but then exactly. first kind of nerves are I'll miss it I'll miss having them first kind of show nerves they're definitely mm. a nice feeling well, my next question was going to be about mistakes. So I guess you've already answered that with not having chili pasta for a gig. Yeah, I've made a, a lot gig. more mistakes, I'll tell you that. What has been the best show you've ever done then for your mental health, pal? Um, so last year, I was on a journey of playing the Isle of Wight Festival. So mm -hmm. It was in association with Isle of Wight and a promotional company called Hot Vox. And I remember getting asked in the Christmas time, 2021, like, do you want to do these shows and potentially you could play at Isle of Wight Festival? It's like a three show kind of thing. You've got the quarterfinal, the semifinal, and then the grand final. But like, there was like 12 quarterfinals, 12 semifinals, and then like two finals. And it was like, you know, it was thousands of people applied and there was like hundreds going through these stages. And I remember like saying, yeah, but just not having any idea of kind of what to experience, what I'd experience, sorry, with it. And I didn't think I'd ever get it. I was like, look, I'll do it. I'll get my kind of live show experience up. And I remember doing the quarterfinal and I was like, okay, wow, I've won this. I won the industry vote. I'm not going to win the semifinal. Get to the semifinal. I won the semifinal again on the industry vote. And I was like, right, okay, well, I'm not going to win the final. It's fine get to the final and I have the best best friends and family around me and there was about 80 90 of them who'd come down to this final for me and they're my biggest supporters quite literally and I get to this final and all the acts in this final are phenomenal because it's like all these like thousands of people have made it down to this like six act final and I remember all the acts were like indie rock and I was pop and I was like, oh my God, only my fans are going to like me. But there's like a six groups of indie fans that are going to be like, who is this pop artist? Like, they're not going to want to listen. They're going to boo me. And I was like, oh my God. And I just remember coming off. The show in itself was just amazing. Like, I'm so happy with how the set went. And I remember coming off and just accepting that, you know, I'm not going to win. It's fine. I'm just going to get drunk now because I'd rather be drunk and find out that I've lost. Because I was like the second act of the whole night. And I think it was about 11 o'clock at this point and it was like they were coming out to announce who won and I remember just crying I cried my eyes out and my partner at the time he was like what's wrong and I was just like look I'm not gonna win it's fine I'm accepted it now I don't believe in myself at all at all and I struggled with that a lot and it's a journey that's been really hard to kind of come across but I just mm. was accepting that I wasn't gonna win and I was just crying and they were like why are you crying like you haven't even found out yet like why are you sad and I just remember when they said my name, that I had won and I was playing the Isle of Wight Festival. I was just in shock. Like, I was just like, what do you mean I've won? Like, I don't think I was ever good enough or I didn't deserve it. And there were other people who work harder than me or they've gone through much more and they deserve it. But it was just that kind of out of body experience where I was just looking around at everyone, just going mental. My friends were throwing beers in the air. They were chucking me off on their shoulders. It was like a football match. They started singing There's Only One Jade Kelly after that. And that experience was just kind of like, do you know what? I can accomplish things and I can do the things I never thought I'd be able to do. Um, you do deserve it. Yeah, and I do. And when I think about it now, last year was a killer of a year mentally. Even though this year's been 10 times worse. You think last year was bad, this year's been Testify. worse. Testify. It's just like, no, 2023 was like, no, 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 we're going we're gonna to beat that one. You know, and I did deserve it. And the hard work and like ethic that I put into it, it's all paid off. So yeah, that was 
probably one of the best experiences for me in a live performance. Mm. And when it comes to the stage then, you spoke there about being on stage with all of these other indie rock bands and mm. perhaps not feeling like either you were going to fit in or you were going to win. So what does the stage provide for you and your mental health, Jade? When I'm on stage, I'm just like, I'm in my world and only my world. And I care a lot about what people think about me. And that's something that I struggle with every day. However, when I'm on stage, I'm just like, this is my moment. This is my happy place. The time where... Westlife's in the background. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. <laughs> but no, like, I'm like, this is my zone. And nobody can kind of break me out of that zone. And if people are vibing with me, even better. That just makes me even crazier on stage. But if they're not, I'm with my band. It's my happy place. And mm. I was so lucky and fortunate that the fans that were there for the other shows, the other band, sorry, even though they didn't like pop, they just said like, we thought you were sick. And like, they vibed with me. You're going to get that chances where people are just like, get her off the stage. But sometimes I get a kick out of that. I'm just like, fuck it. <laughs> if you don't mm. like it, I'm going to do it 10 times more now. I want to quickly come back to the ADHD in the context of this next question, because I always ask my special guests on Behind the Mic about what outlet out of producing, songwriting, singing or playing instruments has the biggest impact on their mental health, Jade? So what would be the answer for you, given that you spoke about ADHD and this hyper-focus ability when it comes to music? Mm. So I was always that hyperactive kid. Everyone just thought I was crazy. Don't give her sugar. She shouldn't have Coca-Cola after 6pm. Like type of kids. So I didn't need the sugar. I was crazy as it was. But it wasn't until I was in my teens that I kind of realized that I had ADHD so I'd done like quite a big part of my life not knowing and my dad was diagnosed with ADHD when he was like 47 I think it was so that's where I kind of get it from we all know that in my house but I'd done well in school I'd done the best that I could but I really struggled with focusing or coming home and trying to do coursework but I'm just in my own world and I could stare at the wall and I procrastinate really really bad and I'm like why can't I focus and when I was in school because I was doing well, they never thought I needed support. Because so I was getting your B's. Yeah, yeah a lot I was of girls getting my can. B's and yeah. C's and A's and stuff. And like, they thought, she's fine. So it wasn't until I was actually in BIM that I got the support I needed. And I got an individual support plan and helped me with all of my essays because I couldn't focus. Even though it was something I was passionate about, I couldn't put my mind to it. And I used to get angry. I was like, maybe I'm just lazy. This is just me mm. being lazy. And I've got no work ethic. Because my friends around me, bearing in mind they were all over 18 some of them were like 25 I was 16 they've already done degrees and they were doing a diploma course as a one-year kind of music course they were smashing out these essays and stuff and I'm like how are you getting this done and the only kind of place where I felt focused was in the studio and it's the only place where I still get distracted don't get me wrong like I can go off on a tangent big time but it was the only place where I could really focus on what I wanted to do and what I was trying to do or what I was trying to write about or what my mood was and I feel like because I've felt like the only one with like ADHD back at home, being in a creative environment, there's so many neurodiverse people. And it's so just like, many, pal. So unbel <sighs> like it's actually shocked me how many male and female artists I've, I've interviewed who've either got diagnosed ADHD, you know, think they might have undiagnosed ADHD or just symptoms of it as well. Yeah, yeah. And like one of my bestest friends, me and her, like we speak so much about this. She's neurodiverse and she was only diagnosed with autism last year, I think. And like autism in women is completely missed. Oh my God, it's a joke. Kind of all neurodiversities in women are missed more than they are in men. And I think because they're quieter, aren't they? They present yeah. more quietly, maybe. Yeah. So women are able to perhaps mask it in a way that a lot of boys stereotypically with ADHD can't, can't right. mask it for five seconds. <laughs> but that's true. It's just like, you know, it's that stereotype of women being that kind of home figure and having everything sorted in life. And then that's what I thought I needed to be like. So then that's why I think I kind of masked my ADHD. And when I was doing well mm. in school or doing well in my music, it was just like, oh, she's just, she's fine. But now I've kind of speak more about it. I embrace it. I love it. Let's talk about industry issues now, because the main one that you wanted to talk about is social media. Mm -hmm. It's come up a lot. So I want to talk specifically about TikTok because this is the, the new one. This is the one that's kind of affecting artists that are around your age and, and, and lower and older actually as well. So just tell me about this and mm -hmm. how it's affected your mental health as an artist and even as a songwriter, I might say as well. Yeah, I think imposter syndrome that I was speaking about earlier 
I mm. suffered more with that when TikTok started to get more popular than I think I ever did. Like social media in itself, like the constant comparison of other artists and how well other people are doing with TikTok, it was like these people were putting one video up, blowing up, getting signed. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, it's hard to accept when you've got this work ethic and I'm not questioning these TikTok artists like work ethic and that they don't work hard enough. I'm sure they do. And like with some of the ones that I follow that I love, I'm like, you're so mm. sick and what you do and you deserve this. However, it would be like, for example, that is it Gail and her ABCD song? When she... Uh, you would know more than me, but that's vague. I've got vague recollections of that, yeah. Yeah, so it popped off, I think either last year or the year before on TikTok. Someone commented on one of her songs, can you write a song using the alphabet? So she writes this song, A, B, C, D, F, U, and your mum and your dad. Great concept. It's a really cool kind of pop concept. Turns out the person who commented on that was marketing from her label. And oh, then it was all my. Of course it was. Yeah, it was all like an industry plant stuff. And that's what I find hard. Like I try so hard with these TikTok trends and constantly like, let me sit in the car and like show my dad my songs. But you've got to be so creative and individually creative. You can't copy all these trends. However, you kind of can like take ideas from them. And I try so hard to kind of get this like TikTok and it's just like so difficult to pop off. And you'll see some of these people that will upload the most boring generic tiktok viral song and like it says it will go viral and it's just like mm. i think the industry has lost that individuality and the creative side of it being raw now with social mm. media and it's like labels and if you're trying to make it it has to go viral on tiktok otherwise you're not doing well enough and i even see like artists to them like, to them not to you but to them yeah, i should say yeah to them not to me and like i see like these big artists like Ed Sheeran and Lana Del Rey, they're like, we're not writing stuff for TikTok. Like, even though labels will be pushing them to write stuff to go viral mm. on TikTok, they're like, no, that's not what we want. That's not the kind of authentic music yeah. we want to put Adele out. Adele said this the other day, didn't she? Yeah. In her sort of own way, she was saying, well, I don't want to be writing songs for my children. I want to be writing songs for the over 30s yeah. because that's my life experience. And and obviously there is a counter argument to that where it's like, well, Adele is swimming in bank bolts of cash, so she yeah. can say that. <laughs> of course. But, but which is fair enough but she has got a very good point in that it is making artists either try and fake authenticity which is impossible to do or try and create some sort of version of themselves that, that isn't authentic but they're trying to yeah do. yeah and that's what i think a lot of artists have suffered with on tiktok it's like you're molding yourself into someone you're not and i try and hold mm. on to my authenticity authenticity <laughs> as much as i can on tiktok i try and just be me and it's like you're never going to get anywhere trying to be katie baser katie baser is sick in what she does like i said there's only one becky hill there's only going to be one katie baser that's going to write a song called friendly sex or you're not my ex you're just my why and when i see people trying to copy that it's just like no you need to find your own niche and it's mm. so hard like i think i found my sound now but every day I'm like developing even more and once you've got your niche that's great and just know that if you have found it you can become so much more but I think don't try and copy everyone because you're never going to get that fan base or you might get a small fan base but then you're going to get a lot of people going oh well you're not so and so you're not them and just be proud of your own kind of creativity and your own niche and you won't last either if you base yourself on another artist then you know another artist will come up quickly you know after you mm. it will sound a bit like you and then they'll jump onto that so it's yeah. never going to engender a long longevity in yeah. the industry is it no not at all let's reflect on your music journey so far jade so mm -hmm. what has it taught you about yourself um i think so i never thought i was an independent person having you can use a dishwasher now can't you uh i don't know how to turn one on <laughs> <laughs> i don't know how to don't turn answer one. that <laughs> i can fill it and i can empty it <laughs> I can't turn it on. Um, <laughs> but that's fine. If I can feel an empty, someone else can press the button, right? There we go. Teamwork. Um, but yeah, I find that I'm quite needy or I need to be around people. However, in the last year, a lot has changed in my life, especially in the last seven months. A lot has changed in my life. And I've realized I don't need people to do what I'm doing. And I don't need people to be happy. I can be happy on my own. Um, I think where my music has 
really started developing the last few years. I was with my past partner and I thought I'd never be able to kind of make it without him or I wouldn't have any creativity without him and I wouldn't be able to do anything on my own. And since being on my own, my music has just got so much more independent and like I feel like I know who I am now and like I said growing up quite needy I've I'm needy with my family or anything like that but my music is the only thing that makes me feel like I am who I am it's my own thing I don't need anyone else to make it if that makes sense you need me man I don't need you Pretty that much. what is that is an old that is an old school Ed yeah. Sheeran song now That's Jesus Christ <laughs> but yeah I think it's just accepting that it's cool to be on your own and me having my music that's me that's who I am and I don't need to be surrounded by people to feel happy even though I've got the best kind of group around me I'm so proud of who I am and who I am as an artist and that this is the career that I want to take We've talked all about your music journey as Jade Morgan Kelly, not JMK. Let's talk about your own mental health journey now, Jade. So I ask all my special guests this question on this topic first too. Take me back to early life, childhood, teenage years, and looking back, were there any early mental health experiences? Who's the Jade we meet here? So yeah, growing up, I live with my mum, dad and my brother, and we're very tight as a family. We're more like friends rather than mum, dad, which is great. And, you know, not everyone's life isn't perfect. And, you know, there's ups and downs in households. And I think where I didn't speak up when I was a kid about how I was feeling with family problems, that eventually affected me to where I am now. But I'll get onto that bit when I reach at this point. But growing up, I wasn't quiet, as we all know by now. <laughs> However, I let people walk all over me quite a lot as a child still till this day I do that but not as much so I was kind of bullied a lot when I was younger I didn't really say much when they were horrible to me because I didn't know what to say I just cried I was just an emotional mm. person and then as I was getting older I started to get a bit of a mouth on me and I was just like no I'm not having this anymore I think I just kind of had enough of it and when I was in secondary school my friends all my friends now are still all my friends from school there's 25 of us girls and boys and we're all still, Jesus Christ and I there's eight nine no there's 10 of us girls 15 boys and we're still such a massive group like our group chat's called King's Angley Scumbags um, <laughs> and we're still going that is, a, that, is a, that is a serious group I mean <laughs> not many people have that pal no I mean, when you get past 25 you lose quite a lot of I know and we're, I'm so grateful that it's still a mix of the boys and girls and like you know it's not just a small group of four girls and we're so so tight like we do everything together but I was so grateful for them but still in other parts of life I kind of let a lot of people kind of put me down by pulling themselves mm. up and I thought that was normal. I thought that was the normal way of going with life. It's kind of letting people talk down to you, belittling you. And I think that's kind of made me a stronger person now. However, I'm quite irrational. I lose my temper very quickly. I overthink way too much. Probably after this podcast, I'm going to think I spoke like shit. I have no idea what I'm saying. It's not going to make any <laughs> sense. People are going to be like, who is she? But my, my Who brain... Who is she? Quite Who literally. Is, that's, uh, I always... Any excuse to bang out the Nikki Big Brother reference. <laughs> Quite literally, who is she? Yeah, my brain's at a million miles an hour, constantly. And I think just not speaking about it as a kid and just constantly bottling things up, it's just not made me good right now. How do you practice boundaries now? Because I'm a people pleaser in recovery myself, you know. Mm -hmm. So I've been through this. I've been there, I've done it, I've read books on it, I've done all the stuff. How did you or how are you going to, depending on where you are, mm. establishing those boundaries, asserting them as well because the, establishing is one thing, but asserting is is the hardest thing because as I've said to many guests, when you assert them, some people get their noses put out of place and some people that you thought maybe were your mates, they start to fall away a bit and your true friends really come out. Yeah, yeah. People pleasing is my forte, should I say. I love it. No, I don't. I absolutely hate that I've got to do that I do it. And it wasn't until like, you know, my ex used to say to me, like, why do you care what people think? Like, you just do you. And even though that relationship kind of done me dirty, in a way it kind of saved me 
I was in a really bad place just before lockdown, going out, getting off my face all the time, constantly going to the pub, drinking, 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 drinking all the time. And yes, I was 18. It's like fresh, but it wasn't me. And I was always down, always down. And I was thinking, couldn't wait for the weekend just so I can Mm. go and get drunk again. And it was then that constant Monday and I'd be like, oh my God, what did I do at the weekend? Have I pissed everyone off? All this and that. Like, And then just not having, oh, been any, there. T- not having any time for my career or myself. And I've realized now with losing a few friends who I'm glad I've lost. Like, I'm so glad they're not in my life. Yeah, friends in air quotes, shall we say. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, just people that I knew. If I think about it now, like where I am now, I would never in a million years let them treat me the way that they did. And still, I probably suffer with letting some of my friends kind of treat me like shit. But these other people, I'm just like, why was I ever allowing that? And I think that then leads back to my childhood and just keeping my mouth shut. And like, you know, if I was to speak up, I'm talking back. So I think that's how I kind of suffered with friends, allowing them to treat me like that. Because I felt like if I was to say something, I'd lose them as a friend and I thought they were my only friend. It was your survival mechanism, yeah. wasn't it? Yeah. And I tend to kind of bottle up, still not as much, but I bottle up when I'm pissed off at someone or if I'm upset with someone. And when I get angry, I tend to cry really quickly. And that's still that kind of mechanism that I did when I was a kid. And people just think, oh, you're so emotional. Like, why are you crying? Or anything can make me cry. I can look at a dog and I'll cry. But like, <laughs> um, like literally looking at my dogs right now, <laughs> taking me want to tear up. But I thought it was a bad thing being an emotional person or being really empathetic towards people. But it's something that I'm proud of now. It's okay to be an emotional person. But it's mm. hard for me to find the medium of being emotional in a good way or being an emotional person because I don't know how to deal with the situation. Yes. And I get myself Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Yeah. When it comes to managing emotions, Jade, how have you gone about that? Where, you know, by all means, it's great to be able to regulate your emotions and be able to express your emotions, shall I say, and do it you know, on a regular basis. But obviously, you need to be able to manage it as well, because otherwise it can, you know, you don't want to be looking at your dog and becoming overwhelmed with emotion every day. So how has therapy helped you? Because you did that when you were in university, right? Yes, I had a great therapist. She was amazing. I first of all had a guy and I just didn't feel comfortable. It wasn't him. He literally done nothing wrong. And I'm sure he's a great therapist for some people. But it just, yeah, it just, I, I couldn't connect That's with just him. your preference, mate, and that's fine. Yeah, yeah, I just couldn't connect with him. And I eventually got this lovely woman. And when I came in, she was just like, she didn't make me feel like I had to talk about what I've gone through. And that's what I think is the best thing in therapy because you think that you go in there and you have to explain every bad thing that's happened to you (laughs) and how you felt at the time and how you feel now. No, it was more of the what's been bothering you lately, what's happened today or what's made you happy. And it was even nice to just talk to someone who doesn't know me and talk about the good things in my life. And I don't like talking about my childhood. I probably won't talk about it much on here it's something that I struggled to talk about and it was nice to be in there and eventually bit by bit I would open up a bit more with her and kind of get really upset and I think if anyone talks about childhood like trauma you're gonna get upset but if I talk about it now I could laugh about it I'm like, ah, yeah people have gone if you, own, if you laugh about it you own it pal that's my mantra. yeah but my problem is is that I think what I've gone through isn't bad enough if that makes sense even though if I was to explain so you validate it to people, yourself yeah, yeah. yeah. If I explain it to people they're like Jade that's not normal like that's not a normal life or like if I talk about experiences now that like, Jade that's not what people should be going through but I think because I had a roof over my head I always had food I had a loving like mum and dad and brother what I went through wasn't bad enough and that's why I feel like I don't talk about it as well, because I don't want people feeling sorry for me. It's a double-edged sword, isn't it? Because I know where yeah. you're coming from, because you don't want people to treat you differently mm. or, you know, you don't want to be in a sort of victim mentality. But at the same time, the downside to that is that you might invalidate yourself and make you feel worse. And I think that then affects me where I think that I'm not good enough and I suffer with trying to please people all the time. And it's just that constant vicious cycle. And... Yeah, therapy, I didn't do it for long because unfortunately I got in my head too much about it. 
well, this was like my therapy in uni. Like I've gone back to it now, but it was going really well. And then I was just like, I remember going into one of the last session that I had and I just didn't want to talk. I didn't want to talk about anything. I was like, I don't, I said, I've done a why I've sat here and I've spoken to you and I've told you everything. Like, please don't tell anyone Like, please don't judge me. Like I just got into this really, really bad, like mental state where I was just like, no, 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 no. Like, I don't want people to think that I'm lying or this and that. And like, it was a really weird time. And I don't know why, cause I thought it was going so well. And I just flipped and it was just so weird for me to kind of bounce back. And it took me a while to get back to it. And like my therapist at uni is my therapist now still. So I'm back with that. And I feel like I'm talking to a friend and I don't know what, maybe something triggered me. I can't think of it now. Maybe I couldn't tell you what it was, but I just flipped and I was just like, I can't talk about it. And I just hit rock bottom again. And I think that's also something that people need to realize that just because you go to therapy, you're fixed. No, not necessarily. Over time. It sounds like some sort of, survival mechanism might have kicked in again pal mm. in childhood mm, probably probably and I and I hate it because I feel like music is the thing that makes me feel safe it's the one time I feel like a normal should I say like you know in quotation marks there like a normal person even though there is no normal person but it's the only time where I feel like no one's judging me no one's looking at me weirdly no one's going oh why is she getting upset it's just that is my therapy and I'm lucky that I have two forms of therapy. But yeah, I don't know what phase in my life I went through to kind of hit rock bottom again there. And I think then that's when I was going out every weekend, not taking my career seriously, not taking myself seriously. And then we hit lockdown and yeah, I then became a different person. <laughs> you said to me off air that despite the fact that you went into lockdown in, in an age where I especially don't envy because I was... Well, I was in a very, very bad place when I was 18 and I don't know how I would have dealt with it back then if I had had to deal with it now. But you said that COVID was almost a blessing in disguise because it made you confront, challenge, maybe even overcome a lot of issues that you've been bottling up or dealing with as we've discussed in this podcast. So mm. just tell me about this period and, and how you look back on it now, because, you know, some people would say, well, you've lost the best years of, in, in quotation marks, of your youth. But actually, it sounds like, you use that period to come out of it and have the best years of your life, hopefully going forward. Yeah. So yeah, so I went into lockdown 18, turning 19 in the April. So it was only in that first kind of few weeks of lockdown. But I felt, well, I feel like, and I felt like I had to grow up a lot earlier than I should have. And that's because of what I was going through in my life. And then also being at uni at 16, all of my friends were older, so I had to be older. And I feel like now I've lost that youth of mine a little bit. And going into lockdown, it was like, I thought I was so much more older than I am now. I'm 22, like so young. Yeah, I yeah, thought like very, at 18. Young, pal. I know, I know, I am young, I'm young. But I thought I was so old and I still think this now. I was like, I've got no time left. And like all the artists that are coming out now, like 17, 18, doing well, but I'm 17, 18, and I haven't even got anyone looking at me or knowing my name. And going into lockdown, physically, I was unhealthy and I hated how I looked. And for me, I felt overweight. I think it's different for everyone. If you, you know, if you're overweight, if you're underweight, it's all individually different. I didn't feel healthy. Like I said before, I wasn't taking myself seriously. And being in lockdown, so I used to hang around with a group of people before lockdown. Some of them still my friends, some of them not. I was hanging around with the wrong people. They kind of didn't want to do much with their life. And it was like that vicious cycle of just not getting anywhere. And I trapped myself in that. And going into lockdown, I looked at myself in the mirror one day and I was just like, you are just not who you're meant to be. And I ended up obviously having to study from home. And I was constantly in this room, which is like my little studio that my dad built for me in lockdown and I just became this completely different person of what I wanted with my life what sort of artist I wanted to be who I wanted to be physically and mentally and I think that break being with my family like we all said we had the like the best time and I don't take this for granted that I felt that way I know a lot of people suffered really really bad in lockdown and I don't know what God was looking out for me during lockdown to give me it. Don't get me wrong, I had my moments. I felt lonely in my love life, like I hadn't had a boyfriend. Like everyone was just 
assholes who I was with. And then I came out of lockdown, going to the gym, working on my music more, writing songs every day, making sure my social media was doing good. And then I met my partner at the time and I'm very grateful for him as well, even though we aren't together. And I think it's nice to know that I don't hate him, but I don't ever want to see just, him. Just make that point clear on this podcast. I don't hate him, yeah. but you're also an <laughs> asshole. <laughs> no, I spent a lot of time trying to hate him, but it's just one of them things that just doesn't work out. But very grateful for him as well, because I didn't love myself. And he taught mm. me to love myself a lot. And I'm so out of the mindset of not being good enough now. And that's not just from lockdown. It's from 2020 to now, to this day. It's taken me that long to realize that I'm good enough for me and that's all I ever want. And I think friends, relationships made me feel like I wasn't good enough in my career, in myself. And these last seven months as well, definitely more so it's just like I don't give a shit anymore about what people want from me I want what's best for me and I know the best people around me they want my career for me as much as I do if not more and I think that's the best sort of people you need to surround yourself with the people that want to see you success they want to see you do well succeed sorry not success (laughs) success they want to see you success they want to see you succeed and that's the best environment ever And I'll forever be grateful for that because I know a lot of people don't have that. But don't think that you'll never find it because you will. Let's reflect on your mental health journey, pal. So firstly, similar question to the one before at the end of the topic. What has this mental health journey taught you about yourself? That you are independent. You can do things on your own and you can accomplish things on your own with the negativity of people who don't like you, who don't want to see you do well you can do it and like if you put your mind to it you're going to get it and I used to think everything would have been given to me in this industry and I realized back then I weren't working hard enough I weren't surrounding myself with the right people I weren't mentally checking that I was okay and I think Mm. them weekly daily whatever kind of moments where you sit yourself down and I have these times now where like I've got a great partner now and he allows me to have that time to myself. Whereas before I could never have that. I'd constantly want to be with someone. And especially like this week, I've had such a hectic week and, you know, you need to have the people that be like, you do you. And I need to have these moments. Like today, I'm going to have this whole day for myself. Like catch up on my own admin stuff, but also just like think, I love to write down all of the good things that I've done and all the things that I'm going to be doing and just remembering all them small wins that I've accomplished this week or in the last six months or just reminding myself of the good things and not always holding on to the bad because I still will have a day, who knows, it could be tomorrow, it could be in a month's time where I hate myself and I hate my career and I'm never going to make it and then I'll wake up in the morning and I'm like, You feel like you will, mate, not that you are, just saying. (laughs) Yeah, and like... You get them days and it's fine. You're never going to be perfect forever. But it's being able to snap back out of that mentality. It's taken a long time for me to get and I'm still kind of getting that niche and finessing it. You've kind of answered my final question in a way, but I'm going to ask it in a different way. If you could go back and talk to those different versions of Jade, what is the one abiding message you would give her from your experience? Um, Um... I know this might sound a little bit boring and corny, but (laughs) it's like everything's going to be okay. I know that there's been so many periods in my life where I just thought I'd never get out of this hell. And I know I'm going to face more difficult paths and I'll be able to look back again and be like, you've made yourself out of it. Like you've gotten out of it. And I think from a child where I felt like everything was going to be this constant negativity and people not liking me and being horrible to me but like you got out of that situation and everything is going to be okay and if it's going slow like if I looked back at 2020 me I thought to myself everything's going slow like I'm never going to be where I am but if I thought I'd be where I am right now back in 2020 I would have never believed it I'd never thought that I played Isla White Festival. I'd never thought that I'd be releasing an EP this year or that I sold out my first headline show of 150 people. And I've got another show now in 
October, 250 cap that I'm doing while my EP's coming out. I'd never thought I'd be in this place. I'd love to remind her, or not remind her, sorry, I'd love to tell younger me that it is going to work out. And I hope in five years' time, when I am more successful, I can look back and like maybe speak to this me and be like, look at where you are now. So, yeah, I think that would be my answer. We've come to our final topic of conversation, Jade, and it's one I try and have with all of my special guests, if we have time. It is a general natter and quickfire chat about our mental health. So firstly, how is your mental health, mate? Uh, it's good. It's good. I've This week, I'll be completely honest, I've had a bit of an overwhelming week. Everything's been a bit too quick for me. Trying to make everyone happy this week. I've had a lot going on. However, I'm in such a good place at the minute. I'm surrounding myself with amazing people. And I'm waking up every day actually happy. I went through a stage this year. I couldn't sleep. I wasn't eating nothing. And now I'm eating and my stomach knows that I'm eating at the minute and I've got Ibiza in a month and I'm not happy. However, I'm eating, I'm sleeping and I'm happy. So yeah, you're going to have them weeks where everything's overwhelming or you're going to be really emotional, but I can bring myself out of it quite quickly. Excellent, mate. And what age were you when you became self-aware of your mental health for the first time and you realised that the feelings you were having weren't physical and they were actually in your mind? I'd say during lockdown, 18, I was about 18. Okay. And I realized was it a how, eureka moment or a gradual process? I think it was the fact that I was having a mental breakdown every day and I couldn't understand why I was this upset or this confused. And I think confusion is such a massive thing with a mental breakdown because you don't understand what's going on. And I couldn't explain or maybe put an experience as to why I was feeling like this, what's triggered me or what am I so... I don't like saying it, but I used to think, what am I so messed up about? I'm not messed up. Mm. It's just, you know, it's normal. I think it's healthy to have these moments because you become this euthoric person afterwards. But yeah, it was definitely where I just was like, what am I doing? Like, why am I feeling like this? I didn't even want to be it at the first point in lockdown. And that's a low part of my life that I'd never, ever, ever want to get back to. But I'm glad I could see the light at the end of the tunnel. I think I might know the answer to this next question, but what things do you find in life that trigger your mental health, mate? So it could be things people say to you. It could be a sound, a sensation, being in a particular social environment, or have you not figured all of them out yet? I don't think I've figured them all out, but I do know a few. I hate it when someone tells me to calm down. And if you tell me to calm down, I turn red and I see red. It's something in me. Like Even just saying it right now, I'm getting angry. <laughs> I think Please I was, don't come through the computer screen and attack me. Please. I'm like holding on, like gripping my <laughs> fists right now. Like It's something that I was always told as a kid. Like, calm down, you're too hyperactive. Not by my parents. Like They tell me to calm down because I was probably being annoying. But I've constantly been told to calm down. And I remember my ex-partner, he'd be like, wind down now, we're going to bed. And I'd be like, Oh my God, like, do not talk Excuse to me. Excuse like, me. <laughs> like, I'm 12 years old. So, being told to calm down is something because I embrace my hyperactive side and chaotic energy. Yeah, I'm, I love it and I'm here for it. And that, and also being so extroverted, I'm like always the, I like to say, the life of the party. And I could talk to a brick wall. However, sometimes I can get really, really overwhelmed in social environments and my social battery can just get really, really kind of squished. And I like feel like I'm getting really claustrophobic and loud noises can I really suffer with as well. If I'm in a, a place and the music's really, really loud and someone's trying to talk to me and there's so much going on, I can't focus. And not being able to focus on something is really difficult walking down a street and the a siren going past I get really really jittery and from living in the countryside to going into London every day sometimes from like Friday to Monday I'm back in the peace and quiet get back to work on the Monday and I'm crossing the road and I start to have slight panic attacks because I can't deal with all the noise so they're like my big triggers and then I get in my head and then I go into work and I'll be stressing about everything. <laughs> Can you tell me about the first conversation you have with someone about your mental health, mate? So who was it with? What did you say? And what impact did it have? Did it feel like on the one hand, this big moment or burden or weight had been lifted off your shoulders or on the other, something quite easy, insignificant and normal to do? 
I think it was when I first had a counsellor back at uni mm-hmm. and I was 17, 16, 17, I think it was. And it was just going in there like thinking that they're just going to completely shrink my brain and like try and get everything out of me. And like, you feel this way because of this. And what does this picture make you feel like? But it was more of a, a conversation with someone that wasn't judging me, someone that wanted to listen to me. And it was that weight that has just kind of lifted. So it was that. And then also my ex-partner, I definitely had a moment with him where I just broke down about everything. And after that, I just felt so happy that someone really understood me because I love my mum and dad. My mum's my best friend, but I could never speak to her about it. And I think it's because I'd never want Mm. my mum to think that she was the reason I was like this or my childhood. And like, when I say my childhood, there's so many aspects as to what I went through. And I would never want my mum and dad to think that I hate them or I loathe them or I loathe my childhood. So I'd never have been able to speak to my parents about it, but I can speak to them about anything Mm. else. But sitting down and speaking to them is something I struggle with. So being able to do that with my ex or the therapist, it was just like this weird feeling that I never thought I'd ever have. So, yeah. Well, who knows, mate? Maybe after this podcast, maybe you might get better. They might listen to this and they might get better at it. Yeah, my partner now is amazing. He listens. Oh, God. I, I don't know where I found him. Like I could ramble on and on and on and on and he'd just be like, yeah. And just like have like the best (laughs) advice for me or he'll just sit and listen when I don't want anyone to talk back. I just need to talk. And he's just, yeah. So I'm very grateful Mm. at the minute. On another positive note then, what Mm -hmm. positive tools and methods do you use in your own life to improve your mental health or help you feel better? Which ones have worked? Maybe which ones that you've tried but haven't? I love poetry. And I love quotes mm. and poems. And I love... Not live, laugh, love, please. Oh, I, do love, I do love a little bit of live, laugh, love. <laughs> oh, uh, no, Jay, It's like no. live, laugh, love and like that sound. There's a TikTok sound to it. It's hilarious. But yeah, I love poetry and I love poetry books. And when I was going through this breakup, I bought so many kind of breakup poetry books. But they quite literally saved me, if I'm going to be honest. And... If I'm feeling something, even if it's a happy feeling or a sad feeling, I'd have to just quickly write it down in my notes, write a little poem about it, or just write a kind of little bullet point of how I feel. And then I go back to it and then I can really, it's kind of like journaling. So yeah, I really love doing that lately. In the last six to eight months, I've been doing that a lot. And it's a really, really nice coping mechanism. And then I can reflect on it and write a song about it maybe. Speaking of poetry in a different sense, what is the best book or as I call it, mental health Bible you've read for your mental health? Now, it can be mental health or self-help related, doesn't exclusively have to be. And if you can't think of a book, any piece of popular culture, album, whatever you want. I recently bought a poetry book called To Be Honest, I think it was. I'll have to get it up while I'm talking. And it has... This happens a lot, by the way. Someone always goes, oh, I'll look it up quickly. I'll look it up. Hold on, let me get it up because it... I, I say I love it so much yeah I can't remember the bloody name of it and I came across <laughs> it on TikTok and let me see if I can find it on Amazon I bought it on Amazon it weren't that long ago either to be honest it was called to be honest right. um, and it's by Nell Starlin and it has all different chapters in it and the back of it is like the truth is and it's the four kind of stages I think of a breakup And I read it as if I'm going through the breakup, but then I also read it as like any sort of experience of me uh, that I've gone through. And that book and Milk and Honey by Rupi Kaur. Oh my God, it's amazing. Like, oh, I can't even begin to explain how amazing it is. And it's just reading these tiny little quotes or these short little poems. And you're like, oh my God, I felt like that. Well, that's how I feel right now. Someone else feels like that. And there's going to be millions of other people who have been in this exact position that I'm in. And it's just refreshing. And like when I've like read like a really sad poem, there was one in To Be Honest. And it was like, oh, I, I, I can't think on the top of my head of how it goes. But it's yeah, just. I don't, like, want, I don't want to make you cry on the podcast involuntarily. Yeah, no, I, I won't read it. No, but it's, it's reading that and I remember it. And I'm just like, whoa, that really hit home. And I remember breaking down reading that book and then like feeling so 
empty afterwards, like, but in a good way. And I just felt like everything that I was feeling is kind of just, I've just let it all out now. And I love rereading them as well. Like if I'm down, I'm like, I'm going to go to this poetry book. I'm going to read this one quote and I'm going to be okay afterwards. If there was a mantra in life that summed up your mental health, Jade, what would it be and why? Oh God, I don't know. (laughs) You do love a quote and you do love poetry. So you better come up with one here. Uh, accepting that the endings aren't always what you picture them to be, I think. That's a great one. You pulled it off the dome there. Well done. Well done. I am going to say I did take it from the song I just wrote like a month ago called Guy. Oh, okay. That's great. However, it works. However, it works. And because basically I had that written down. I was like, I need to accept that things aren't going to be how you picture life to be. And then I put Mm. it into my song called guide to letting go but i think yeah it took me a while to accept that things aren't what you think life will be or situation will be and yeah i think that'll definitely be my mantra (laughs) i've got two questions left the first one is what do you love about yourself um Come on, be brave. Be brave. I know you want to say it. I love... I was saying this, not actually literally last night with my partner and my best mate. I think I'm a great person. I don't say that in a big-headed way at all. You don't need to qualify it. Stop qualifying it. Just say it. Just stop qualifying it. I love people so much. And I heard... Emma Chamberlain, I think, say it. No, it wasn't Emma Chamberlain. It was Selena Gomez saying to Zayno. Like, <laughs> That's a switch up. Because <laughs> Emma Chamberlain said something else, which I love. But Selena Gomez said, people should be privileged to be in my presence. And I feel so strongly about that. Like, I don't say it in a big-headed way. I'm not saying I'm the best person since sliced bread. No. But you should be privileged to be in my presence because I love people with everything that I possibly can give. And I, I fuck up every now and then, but I try to be the best friend, the best sister, the best daughter. And I think it should be a privilege. Everyone should feel like this. You should feel like people should be privileged to be in your presence. So I love that I'm this crazy outgoing person, but also very soft and emotional. And I can Mm. listen and I can talk. I can talk and talk and talk, but I also can sit and shut up for five minutes and actually let you talk. So, that's yeah. the balance, mate. That's the, yeah. that's the hardest balance to strike. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's hard sometimes, don't get me wrong, but I, I definitely do accomplish it. <laughs> and as a final question, pal, mm. this is a broad one. What more do you think we have to do to ensure people from all backgrounds, all walks of life feel comfortable and safe in opening up about their mental health issues or just their general mental health if, most importantly, they want to do it? I think now, especially 2023, so normal to talk about mental health and it's so refreshing to be able to like actually speak to a stranger you could meet in a pub and just sit and talk about your traumas and just like know that nobody cares I'd say like even 2018 2019 it wasn't a strong topic and that's not long ago it's not long ago at all and it was like slowly getting there but it's just like that nobody cares anymore if like as where I say nobody cares, like before it used to be shunned upon that you had PTSD or you have depression or you have anxiety. Like nobody really knew what anxiety was. And now it's like, who cares if you've got that? Let's help you. And how can we help you? And like, what is it that's caused that for you? And like, let me be here and be a pair of ears and let you kind of get it all out. And like, maybe I'll make you feel less anxious today. And when I say who cares, I don't mean that in a way like, oh, I don't give a shit if you've got this. I mean, like no one's judging you for being this way. And like my dad is a really, really strong advocate of anxiety and depression in the sense where he talks about it a lot because he always says to me, he had anxiety his whole life, but didn't realize it was anxiety until about three, four years ago because he never knew what anxiety was. And, you know, he grew up, my dad's nearly 60. He grew up in a time where men can't be depressed, men can't be down, men can't cry. And I really wish life was different for him when he was younger because I think it would have helped him so much more. But 
the fact that now he understands why he's anxious or why he was depressed and now he can talk about it and, and not being judged or like him being considered as weak is just amazing. And I think that's what everyone needs to take upon talking about the mental health. If they want to or not, you're not weak. You're more normal than normal people. And who's normal? <laughs> <laughs> what a way to end it. Jay Morgan Kelly, thank you so much for coming on Behind you're the welcome. Mic and the Just Checking In podcast and talking to me, pal. Thank you so much for having me. Well, that's all we've got time for on this episode of Behind the Mic. I want to say a big thank you to Jade for being my special guest on this episode and for letting me go behind the mic with her. Obviously, my favourite single of Jade's is Reason to Stay and that will play us out. And I'll put all of Jade's streaming and social media links in the show notes. As always, thank you to all the vendors who've tuned in. Remember, if you've liked what you've heard, please give it a share on social media. Tell your friends or work colleagues about it. If you're feeling generous, write us a review and give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. Or you can go to our Patreon. That's www.patreon.com slash venthelpuk. Or you can make a one-off donation to our GoFundMe or buy a Vent t-shirt. All of those links are on our link tree. That's www.linktr.ee slash venthelpuk. Stay tuned for the next episode of Behind the Mic. And remember, guys, it is always okay to vent. I know I've been bad at times, but I'm something that you don't want to lose. I know I push you to your limits, make you weak and want to quit it. But as we get deeper, I hear you whisper that you're going to always need it. Answers after all those chances, and you're still here asking if you need a 